time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. So at the top of the second hour, we always have our Right View Roundtable question. And tonight I want to just ask these. I have my Right View Roundtable here, of course, Lori Medina and Wade Miller. I want to ask about this uh news that has been percolating now for a while, but it was about the question of whether or not uh, it was a good thing or a bad thing or it doesn't really matter that Donald Trump has tapped family members to be part of his White House. In particular, his uh, son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is going to head up the White House Office of American Innovation, trying to help the government function more like a private business, I guess. Then Ivanka has a um, undefined assistant to the president role. So what do you guys think? Is that good, bad, or irrelevant? No, who wants to go first? Uh, so it's good, bad, or ugly? I would go with ugly. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have a feeling I'm going to be saying these words over the next four years, but the I told you so, I can't help it. You know, I mean, when, when the whole Trump phenomenon was happening, I mean, that was actually one of the things I kept bringing up was the effect, the impact of Ivanka and Trump and, and her husband, Jared, on Trump. Uh, she's probably easily his closest advisor that that he listens to. And if you remember back in the election, everybody's, oh, no, Ivanka is not going to be part of the administration. She's not going to be an advisor. And here she she is. She is. And we and we knew this would happen. So, I, you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised. But just again, keep in mind, she is a New York liberal. OK, so the problem with it is not nepotism is New York liberal. Oh, I could. Yeah. OK. Well, I have a problem with the nepotism issue here. And look, I don't know them. They may be perfectly fine people. They're uh, maybe extremely smart and intelligent, but it's no state secret here that they have been (laughs) Democrats for a very, very long time. Uh, You can just see in their public statements that they have been pushing even recently, Mm -hmm. even, you know, within the last month, uh, progressive uh, government uh, program ideas. So I'm concerned from a variety of angles here what effect that they're going to have. While also understanding that President Trump won and he gets to choose at this point who he's going to listen to. And I'll, you know, to a certain point, uh, degree, I'll give him some deference on that. But I want to see as a a, right of center voter, a conservative, I want to see conservative outcomes. And if they start pushing him in direction that is not that, then to that degree, my support will wane, you know, uh, equally. So you could be equally critical then of if they, they weren't his relatives. If just if his advisors push him to the left, this is a problem. Correct. Right. OK. I say, yeah, you know, it's a funny thing. I think that part of the reason this is occurring is because President Trump doesn't have a lot of depth of political allies to tap. He has famous political people that he's brought in. But I mean, I think he doesn't trust people because he doesn't know a lot of them Washington well. So these are his kind of, at least I kind of know these people, but on Ivanka and her liberalness, I did hear recently that when President Trump came out with what a lot of people were saying, hey, that was a pretty good environmental uh, statement. We didn't withdraw from the Paris Treaty. And that Mm -hmm. is specifically because his daughter Ivanka believes in climate change. And so that is a huge red flag if you don't understand the political hoax that is climate change, which she doesn't. But I will say, and the other, I, I, it's kind of funny. Uh, and I said on, on Jared Kushner, if he can bring actual information about better technology, smarter computers, blah, blah, you sure. know, that, that's not necessarily policy wonky. Um, and so I guess I'm kind of okay with that. Um, and I don't really think, I don't feel a nepotism concern like you would in some cases where you'd be worried maybe they're embezzling money and the family's going to cover it up. It's not 
that kind of thing. No. It's just, yeah, you're, okay, go ahead. So, And I think uh, we've also seen this. There, The rumor is is that uh, Ivanka and Jared killed the Religious Liberty yep. Executive yep. Order, which and would have been a really good order. Uh, but to your point uh, about not having a lot of people that he trusts in these circles, I mean, if you look at his West Wing staff, most of those people he did not know two years ago. Yeah. And so there is some credence to this that, you know, without people around him that he absolutely trusts, who's he going to turn to in this situation? And I think he's turning to his family. That's not an unreasonable thing. I'm just concerned about the politics of it. So my case in point is during the, the, the primary, during the primary campaign, if you remember, he came out in one of the debates and said that he was totally against Planned Parenthood and that he would end all funding. Yeah. And then we found out, I mean, he admitted the next day, he said, well, I talked to my daughter Ivanka and she said they do some good work. So we know for a fact, case in point, that he listens to his daughter and he will go backwards and move more liberal on his policies uh, because of her, because of, of her, his relationship with her. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. And I don't, I mean, she, I think, is, is kind of more of a committed liberal yep. than, than even her dad. Uh, but she's also someone that he, you know, I, I think he's a little bit, I mean, you th- put yourself in his shoes if you can for a minute. I mean, the establishment can't stand him. The Democrats can't stand him. The media can't stand him. And the conservatives, he's now sideways with them. And so he's a really in a lone and kind of bizarre place in Washington. And I can imagine just someone to filter, help you understand what's going on. Maybe she's a comfort there. But I am disappointed to have her providing policy advice to him because I feel like, you know, it, the Planned Parenthood is a good example. Mm-hmm. The climate change is a good example. I will say she was also the one talking about maternity leave stuff. Right. But she hasn't come up with a policy yet. I'm going to hold out hope that she's not going to. Okay, we got like 30 seconds. And there's studies that have shown where this has happened in other countries, this maternity leave issue. Women, the unemployment rate goes down because employers do not want to hire women. That's right. It hurts women. That's right. It hurts women. So oh, I couldn't agree more. It hurts women. I'm just saying maybe she's she she likes the idea, but she hasn't proposed anything. Maybe there's some hope she's going to figure this out. She's got three and a half years. She'll she'll come out with it. Yeah. You know what? This is it. So that's our Right View Roundtable for um, today. We are on, um, I can't tell where we are time. Okay, 10 seconds. Thank you for tuning in. We cannot resist going back to healthcare one more time after the break, and then we're going to turn to talking about political Islam in America and what Ayan Hirsi Ali says we should do about it. Don't go away. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. I want to tell you why I do this radio show, America Can We Talk?, in my life, I've been a full-time attorney, a wife, and a stay-at-home mom, a volunteer at our kids' schools and sports teams, and a political activist. I've been active in many political campaigns, organizations, and events, from the grassroots level to elected leadership roles, and from volunteer to paid consultant. 
One theme that runs through my life since my days of majoring in political science in college has been a continually growing admiration for the idea of America. And that gets me to why I do this show. America is the most important political idea in the world. Everything good and great about America is the result of these ideas of America, things like the rule of law, limited power in the federal government, separation of powers, protection of individual rights of each citizen. So on my show, we talk about the events and stories of the day, always tied back to preserving the ideas of America. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, the first hour of the show tonight, we were talking about where we are in health care and not just the, the you know intricacies of the battle in Washington, but the bigger picture of, you know, we are we going to just continue the battle until everything falls apart and we end up with single payer uh, socialized medicine? Or are we going to reinvigorate America with this idea that there are many, many ways to provide, in fact, increased quality, increased competition High quality, better priced health care insurance and health care um, providing. And uh, the two things I've, I wanted to mention at the start were, you know, we can confuse those two things, health care and health insurance. But neither one is a right. You don't have a right to health care at all. You, it is health care is a necessity. It is a, an important. It's important, but it's not a right because it costs money to produce it's a necessity, and we have a society where we care about each other, so we try to come up with a system that provides abundant health care 
uh, at, at reasonable prices and many products to choose from. But that's the first point. It's not a right. And the second point is that it is a, um, there's a big difference between health care and health insurance. If we start to think of health insurance the way you think of car insurance, where you don't take your car in and try to claim insurance uh, coverage for, you know, a scrape, for a minor thing, you, your health, your, uh, Car insurance is there for big problems. You don't take it in when you have a flat tire and and demand your health insurance, your, your car insurance, pay for it. You don't uh, for oil changes. You you think of your car insurance, your auto insurance, as something there for bigger problems. We need to take that thinking as a normal insurance assumption into health insurance, and because we have had that slippery slope away from freedom in this country to where more people think of health insurance as something that should pretty much cover everything. Maybe I have a little tiny copay or something, but pretty much take care of me thing, and we can't have that. Health insurance has to be something that we think of as it costs something, we have to pay for it, and we're careful how we use it, we're careful how we choose it, and we're careful how we use it. Because the last thing I'll say, and then Lori has something she wanted to hit too about uh, on the health issue, healthcare issue, but you know, the real thing we're seeing in the American public and their reaction to the repeal of Obamacare is a fear of freedom. It's a fear of free markets, a fear of personal responsibility. A fear that unless government mandates exactly what insurance companies cover and exactly what I have to buy and where I can go and who my doctor can be, that somehow I won't have health care. And, you know, we had health care in this country. We had the best system on earth before Obamacare even came along and was signed until March of 2010. So we've got to introduce this concept. We don't have to be afraid of the free market ideas brought into the healthcare arena, it will bless everyone, poorest to richest, young and old. We, we've got to reinduce that idea, and I wish the politicians in Washington would be talking about this more. You have something about the millennials. Yeah, you know, um, and, and just to circle back, this article that we keep, keep quoting, it is by Daniel Horowitz, and if anybody out there does not follow Daniel on Twitter, I highly recommend it. He is at RM Conservative. Um, the best tweets money can buy, I tell you. Uh, but this is such a brilliant article talking about the free market healthcare and what we could do as a country and how we could roll back these regulations and the impact on on each of us is just amazing and and that makes me think you know Debbie we talk a lot about kind of these generations coming up specifically millennials of you know how they're going to ever even understand conservatism because they haven't even experienced it in their lives and to me I look at healthcare and I see this amazing opportunity for millennials to experience firsthand to touch taste feel free market because if they had to touch it taste it feel it through their health care in a free market way then they i believe i believe they would understand it and they would appreciate it and they would want more of it and to me again these millennials uh they've you know most of them gone up through the public school system not even talked about free market they don't understand it there's no example in their daily lives that they have to interact with um this would be a way for them to have a firsthand experience of why free market is is the greatest uh the greatest thing in the world and again one of our founding principles our country was founded on um so that's one of the reasons i mean i feel like uh, we need these free market health care, not just just for our health care and to make us healthier people and to impact us economically, but just from a philosophical and a long term perspective, why these kids need to experience it. 
Amen to that. You know, they do have this concept when they think about if some kid wanted to go out and buy his first car and he went to different car dealers, you say, man, what a ripoff their deal is. This right. one's better. Right. And, you know, I'm going to go, I might even shop at a car place pretty far away because look at the better deal I can get. All those things are in their heads about that. You love to have them think about healthcare that way. Okay. I don't want to let this show get away though and talk about um, something that is just near and dear to my heart and, and, a, and a growing concern um, in America. And I guess I'll start with, so Presno, President um, Trump tried to have, to issue a uh, refugee order, a, an executive order dealing with refugees and who can come to America and to be in control of the um, who enters our country. And so uh, I guess everyone listening probably knows he tried, he had one executive order um, related to refugees and it listed certain countries where people had to, w- would not be able to come here. They would not, um, their application of visa would not be accepted. And uh, he had federal court strike it down. Then he issued a second order. And he's already had two federal courts strike it down. The good news was there was one federal court in Virginia that just in the last couple of days, I think, very recently, um, found, uh, actually issued a ruling based on the law of all shocking things. A federal district court judge used the law. Sadly, that is like, you know, newsflash, because he said, essentially, Federal statute makes very clear the president has authority to admit or decline to admit aliens or any class of aliens for any reason, period. Full stop. And that's what federal law says. So this one judge has it right. But the underlying issue that whatever happens with this refugee order and whether it goes to the Supreme Court or what, the problem we have in America that I really want to address the rest of the show to has to do with our ability as a country you know, we are just revere and we rightly revere our commitment to freedom of religion and respect for freedom of religion is part of our constitution. And we have had in recent years that we in America are watching things happening around the world where there is a growing uh, element of Islam, of people engaged in jihad and and whatever term we want to use, Islamist, radical Islam, whatever it is, we are seeing people engage in violence in the name of Islam, claiming they are acting based on Islam. And so there were two articles I was um, looking at recently, and I, I actually sent them both because I was so curious about both what Lori and Wade would think. But on the one hand, there was a huge hit piece in the uh, mag. It's a very left-wing magazine, but the Atlantic magazine. Very long hit piece on uh, Frank Gaffney, who has been on the show many times. He's a founder of Center for Security Policy. And the essential gist of the article is that he, Frank Gaffney, is being mean-spirited and irrational conspiracy theory nutcase for raising the alarm bell that we need to be careful in America to not, um, we need to be alert in America to the notion that there are exact, actually in this world, um, many people who are of the Muslim faith who are completely dedicated to spreading Sharia, demanding Sharia, which is Islamic law, uh, be honored everywhere, who commit jihad, which is, you know, demanding that people uh, who are not Muslim either convert to Islam or you can kill them because jihad is going on around the world. And so Atlantic is is trying to argue that uh, Frank Gaffney is just uh, raising conspiracy theories and being cruel and unfair. At the same time, I think in the same week even, an article came out by a woman named Ayan Hirsi Ali, and she was raised in Islam. 
had very unpleasant experiences. I think she was raised in Ethiopia, and mm-hmm. she moved around, yeah. lives in America now. She has an article out called How to Counter Political Islam. And she makes numerous distinctions, uh, but her basic point is you got to be crazy to not admit the connection between jihad and the violence we're seeing around the world and Islam. You can't make policy if you can't be truthful. And she writes she in this article, and again, I'm going to send an email out after the show, and y'all will see what she's been writing, but she talks about she likes the term um, political Islam. She refers to it as uh, a political ideology, a legal order, and in many, way, many ways a military doctrine associated with the Prophet Muhammad. And she talks about how, in this article, she talks about how, you know, in America we've had this class of people who keep wanting to try to blame every violent incident committed by someone in the name of Islam, that it must be somehow based on poverty or corrupt political government or unfairness in the world. And and those people try to sway people. The second set of scholars recognize a radical ideology derived from Islamic theology. And folks, that's my point I want to talk about in this in this rest of the show really is how do we as freedom-loving First Amendment, you know, supporting Americans, how do we deal with the fact that we have too many in America willing to write an article like this idiocy in the Atlantic, unwilling to deal with the reality that Islam, in fact, has an ideology of that supports jihad and that people who are committing that are following the teachings of the prophet. Don't go away. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. 
Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are tens of thousands of Heritage members and supporters in North Texas alone. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates on the fight for America from Heritage President Jim DeMint, plus exclusive invitations to conservative events right here in Dallas or wherever you are in America. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, we're going to talk about the last half an hour here tonight. It has to do with trying to deal in this precious, loving country of America. How do we deal with the threat of radical Islam as we parallel or we are aware of our commitment to freedom of religion? So I cannot commend strongly enough this article written by Ayan Hirsi Ali, who indeed knows firsthand the evils of Islam. And her point, her article is called How to Counter Political Islam. She has a point about numbers in here that's really important to understand. We're going to just talk a lot about whether... Uh, you know, it's reasonable to have a refugee policy like President Trump is trying to get done an executive order and whether uh, Center for Security Policy organizations like that in Washington who are trying to raise the alarm about Islam. Are they the one? Are they being unfair or are they protecting America? Because the truth is, let me just tell you the answer to the question. If you don't understand that what Trump is doing is to protect America so we don't ha- start having Brussels and Nice, et cetera, happening in America, you need to get better informed. If you don't understand that Center for Security Policy, Frank Gaffney, other groups like that are working to protect America, then you b- need to get better informed. But here's just a quick stat. This is from Ayan Hirsi Ali. Okay, so it, according to one estimate, there are – okay, so there are well over 1.6 billion Muslims in the world – 23% of the world's population. And so according to one estimate, 10 to 15% of the world's Muslims are Islamists, meaning people who would engage in violence on behalf of Islam, people who would kill you if you would not convert to Islam. So 10 to 15%, which brings that number, 10 to 15% of this 1.6 billion, means at a minimum 160 million people in this world who believe they have the right to kill you 
if you will not convert to Islam. And she, of much knowledge of Islam, says, according to her understanding of the world, um, the number, this percentage is actually much, much higher than that estimate. So $160 billion who will happily kill you for failing to convert. And then Wade was going to weigh in on related. Well, I would say that, the, yeah, the number is a lot higher. We've mm-hmm. got a lot of Pew data polling from, from for over a period of years that shows in, in many of these countries in that region of the world, a not you know up to 90% support Sharia as yep. a form of government. And under that, when the, you get down into issue by issue, a, an overwhelming majority support things like death for homosexuality, death for mm-hmm. infidel, uh, infidelity, death for apostasy, death for, uh, for being an infidel, uh, death for being an ad- adulterer. Uh, these are government-imposed death penalties that they politically support. So the number of terrorists, actual terrorists, may be relatively low, although it's still numbers in the multiple, multiple tens of millions. But the actual number of radicalized Muslims is well above that, into the hundreds of millions, at the very least. And, you know, on that point, this article, um, I actually shouldn't be drawing attention to it, but it's not just that article, but the general thought among liberals in America and people who are trying to say they're being high-minded and open-minded and they love multiculturalism and they have respect for the diversity of cultures and religions in the world, they think in their ignorance that, they're just showing tolerance just the way they would want to have tolerance shown if they happen to be in a, you know, whatever, majority Lutheran town, but they happen to be Baptist or something like that. They want to have ecumenical understanding. They want to have, but that is not, I mean, it's just vital for people to understand that what we're dealing with is the survival of Western civilization, the survival of Christian societies. And this is where Trump is absolutely right with his executive orders and more extreme mm-hmm. vetting from these regions. If you look at the way these refugees and, uh, and other processes are to come here, they screen for terrorism, but they do not screen for ideological radicalism. They do not ask, do you believe that if someone leaves the religion of Islam, they should be put to death? They don't ask that question uh, because that's not terrorism. They're not actually actively engaging with ISIS. And until we start implementing those types of screening questions and, and background checks, we will continue to bring over more and more and more of that kind of population, yeah. which is the wrong type of Muslim to be coming over here in the first place. And once they start gaining a bigger voting block, then they will, of course, peacefully through democratic means start voting their ideology. And that's where it starts getting into our system. And of course, they aren't attacking us. They're doing it at the Physically, ballot box. Right. And so that is that is the issue is we will allow our principles of religious liberty, of free speech to be to be weaponized against Western civilization, Christianity, liberty, natural rights, etc. And they know that, Uh, you know, they know that and they're abusing those principles and using it against us in the long term. Uh, Since 9-11, America has spent one point seven trillion trillion on combat and reconstruction of these Muslim countries that we've gone into. Um, that 1.7 t- t- trillion... <laughs> tea is a tea party. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, yeah. Uh, that has not been spent on ideology, and that's to Wade's point, is that we are not talking about these people uh, in the world and that are being brought into America that have these ideas that, that the again, the foundation of of American, our American ideals, that they are wrong. That's what they believe. And they have a process called DAWA, D-A-W-A, and it's the whole idea of what exactly the way 
the way Wade described it is that they come into our society, they come into our government, they come into the PTAs, they they take over, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, intergovernmental agencies. I mean, they take over these groups, and this is how they impact and change things to become more Sharia compliant, just as if as the Marxists have since uh, in the 20th century, how they took over our government, our, our schools, our schools, our, our all of our institutions. Absolutely. And this term Lori was using, because there are a lot of terms that's really helpful to understand, DAWA, D-A-W-A. This is actually, again, in the article by Ayan Hersieli. She's not the only former Muslim writing about these things. But it's important to understand, these are not terms Westerners made up to criticize. These are their terms, that's Islamic right. terms. DAWA, she said, this approach has, um, she said, in focusing only on acts of violence, we've ignored the ideology uh, that justifies, promotes, celebrates and encourages acts of violence. And so this dawah is, it refers to activities carried out by Islamists to win adherence and enlist them in a campaign to impose Sharia law on all societies. Her words, not mine. And the reason it's become so important is we've become this, this uh, we've had a battle really in America, not right after 9-11, but in the last eight years, where we are being convinced by people in, in public life, by leaders, by President Obama and other leaders in Washington, former leaders, um, to not, to, to close our eyes, to not be tuned into this. Because, you know, you can say, and everyone maybe listening can say, well, I knew, I know a really nice Muslim family. There are plenty of Muslim families in America who are not committing jihad. They are not committing any violence. They are just living their lives. But it's important to understand the problem isn't every Muslim, but the problem is Islam itself, what it teaches. And as Ayan Hirsi and many others say, reform has to come from inside Islam to say, yes. regardless of how people conducted their lives and, and, and practice Islam in the Middle East and Northern Africa, here in the modern world in America, we can no longer have Sharia. We can't have jihad. We're not going to have a caliphate. Those fundamental ideas in Islam must be surrendered by Islamists, or otherwise we need to be alert to protect our country. And, of course, closely re related to Dawah is taqiyya. And that is where mm. if you are a practicing Muslim, you are allowed to lie, lie. to non-Muslims for the purpose of furthering Islam. And so this is why you see quite often uh, uh, Muslims will cite or quote certain parts of the Quran in order to justify and make it look uh, uh, more peaceful than it may be in reality, uh, when the reality is is that they're leaving out other verses or they're leaving out context or they're purposefully not pointing out that the later writings overwrite that because doctrinally that's how you have to write the Quran. What is, whatever is written later supersedes anything that is written earlier. Uh, and they leave these things out. And that's not to say that there aren't some Muslims who do believe in the peaceful passages, but doctrinally, that's just not the way, mm -hmm. uh, the, from a theological perspective, the Quran has, is, is read or written according to all of the Hadiths, all of the Quranic scholars, uh, uh, all the fatwas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I want to chime in on that. And, you know, and the reason we're talking about this, because I, this has become such a challenging political topic in America, because the left tries to say... You either embrace multiculturalism and respect for all religions and equal respect mm -hmm. for all religions, or else you're an Islamophobe or you're a mm -hmm. hater. And so people shut down. They don't right. want to talk racist. about this. You're racist. You're intolerant. This is what 
organizations trying to alert America to the possible danger, this cultural change that could come to America if we're not alert. They're called haters and Islamophobes when indeed they're the ones trying to alert us. One quick thing. Everyone wants to talk. It's really funny. We're one minute on this. Segment. Okay, I just want to mention this one thing. So uh, within uh, in Islam, you know, the basic writings of Islam in the Quran, which is their, like the fundamental first writing, the Quran, at least 109 verses that call Muslims to convert or kill non-believers. Okay, now someone could say, well, the Bible says, you know, um, you know, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Yes, it does in the Old Testament. And Jesus said no more of that. Mm-hmm. And frankly, if Jewish congregations in America were following eye for eye, we would condemn it. Mm-hmm. But they don't. Mm-hmm. They don't. So Quran's one place, Hadith, which are the prophetic traditions, literature uh, written uh, from oral reports supposedly after the death of Muhammad, continue this endless encouragement of kill or convert infidels. And they're still valid doctrine. Still valid doctrine. We come back. We're going to continue understanding keeping America safe from radical Islam. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. On August 2, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son Mark Allen Lee had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness, 
As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. There's a lot of talk today among media and academia in our culture about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, this is the fastest two hours of my week and the funnest two hours of my week. <laughs> I do want to take a moment to thank our sponsor. This program is sponsored by GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Cannot thank GC Works enough for sponsoring this show. Okay, so we're trying to we're talking about here, and the big picture we're talking about, you know, you talk about societies and civilizations change and we're watching what's happened in Europe with respect to the growing number of of um, dangerous situations that have occurred because of the flow of refugees many of them innocent some of them intending to move into Europe to commit uh, jihad to to engage in dawah to in fact there's another there's another expression which is um, hijra which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. immigration for the purpose of conquering it, it is. This is not Americans made this up. This is in the in Islam. Hijra is immigration for the purpose of conquering. That's what you're seeing in Western Europe. And this is what the informed scholars in this country are trying to protect America from, with the refugee policy and with also with the policies that, that Frank Gaffney is advocating. Being aware of Sharia, denouncing the existence, outlawing the existence of Sharia courts, insisting on American law for American courts. It's recognizing that this may not be a military takeover with bombs and guns and tanks, but it can change a civilization. And if you if you want to preserve the American style liberty we all love. You've got to be aware of the threat of radical Islam and the various forms in which it can work and niggle its way into a society and really undermine the liberty we all love. And Lori had a point she was going to make. This, yeah. Well, there's a real disturbing thing happening in evangelical circles right now. Evangelical Christians. Right? Evangelical yeah. Christians. Yes, indeed. Um, I've been seeing lots of talk about how that uh, saying, well, we need to allow Muslims to come in and build their mosques and we need to, you know, uh, not be against it. And that's something that we should put our arms around American, uh, other Americans that if they have a different faith, that we should not stop them or hold them back from worshiping their religion. And the, the reason for that is that our country was built on the freedom of religion and that we should support that. And by, by not supporting that we are hypocrites. That that's the, 
the right. angle. And, you know, it, it, it's very clear from our discussion and from writings from um, uh, Hershey and, and Gaffney, the fact that this is not just another religion. And that's what I think a lot of people, they get stuck on, is they just see it as a religion. And what we're saying here today, Debbie, is that this is a political ideology. This and is a not military one. That, and a military, absolutely. This is not saying, uh, well, there's there's Methodists over here, so we're not going to let the Baptists come in. Th- this is not that. There is no moral equivalency in this. And that's what, again, what the left always tries to do is try to create a moral equivalency to try to make us sound like hypocrites and, and, and it, what you just said, to make us sound like racists, that, that we just hate people of a, of a different, uh, different skin color or a yeah. different language, that we just hate them because they're different and that's not that's not the issue the issue is is they want to literally change our way of life they disagree with our very existence this is us protecting who we are as a people protecting our freedoms protecting our rights because our rights and freedoms will absolutely go away if the islamists had their desires come to fruition and back to what you were talking about a moment ago about our refugee policy. And Wade was making a great point about, you know, what we do when we try to vet people coming here. You can't just vet, are you a terrorist? Have you ever belonged to a terrorist organization? We have to be willing to look into, because they're not going to answer the question, honestly, if, if they intend to do us harm, they're not going to say in their immigration sure. interview, yeah, I'm going to go to America to commit jihad. They're going to say, no, I'm, I'm going to just want a new life and, you know, freedom and whatever they say. But we have to be willing to be serious and earnest in, in in this vetting process, which has to include, for example, looking at their social media. Where do they visit on the web? What websites do they go to? What do they post on their Facebook page? What do they tweet? What websites do they enjoy writing on and commenting on? Because after these horrible incidents occur, like the one that happened in London not too long ago, they went to the the uh, social media of the gentleman. I forgot his name. Kassid. Kasim Hamoud, I'm sorry, I forget, I don't want to sound like I'm mocking, I can't remember his name, whatever it was, they go to his social media, sure enough, he's been visiting all sorts of websites. Well, it's one thing for Americans who are already here that we have to try to figure out, you know, if we're going to have a problem, but inviting people to America from countries where Islam, the more radical form of Islam is more popular, more well-known, and trying to understand where are you on this, it's vital to preserving America's liberty. And you hit the nail on the head in terms of we need to vet social media, we need to vet uh, extended relatives and friends, uh, and understand that they have no right to come here. Absolutely no right to come Absolutely. here. Amen. For whatever reason that we determine, we can say no to them. That's so, right. for instance, if they have tweeted out that we must drive the Jews into the sea— you know, that's an interesting opinion that they might have, which is abhorrent, but we're not going to let you in now. Uh, it can be anything. If they say something bad about the Dallas Cowboys, you know, I'm in favor of just blocking them. Uh, I'm that's being right. a little facetious there, but the point is, is that for literally any reason we can block them. If we get any hint that, that someone trying to come here does not share the values of our country, we can say no, and we should be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And tied to Lori's point, I want to go back to Wade because he has a military background. You know, your point about evangelical Christians kind of putting the blinders on. We had the instance under President Obama where the attempt was made to put the blinders on our national security people, on on our training manuals for the FBI, CIA, national security, where President Obama 
during 2011, I believe is when it occurred, excised all references to anything Islamic out of those training manuals. So no mention of jihad, Sharia, Takiya, Dawah, Hijra, any of those things, any Islamic references were removed from the training manuals for our military and national security people. And this was, I, I mean, it, it goes past blinders. This is like almost meaningless deliberate harm. I mean, do you find that as bothersome as I do? I, I couldn't believe it. Well, absolutely, because from a military standpoint, the first thing you have to do to defeat an en- enemy is define it and, and, and properly define it. And when you remove all these references for political purposes, you deprive the military leadership the uh, narrow interpretation of what exactly it is we're fighting and that's why I think that we got locked down into these long, prolonged uh, fights, uh, because we weren't really defining who exactly it is we were fighting. Uh, and, and, and not only that, but it then allowed us to start wheeling and dealing and making deals with and giving money to a lot of people that were just bad. Uh, because, you know, they may not have been blowing themselves up, uh, but but they were still ideologically radical. And this is what we saw with the the Obama administration and the, and the Muslim Brotherhood. A refusal to call the Muslim Brotherhood a terror organization was a fundamental problem, and that is one of the main reasons that the entire region has just melted. It's because we put our faith and support behind radical Islamists. Absolutely, we did. And, you know, on a similar note, we were talking about Ayan Hirsi She's a great example of someone who understands the aggressive nature of Islam around the world. I'm going to go back to one of the points she made in a moment. But there was also, I was remembering this morning, I found it again, Egypt's president, al-Sisi, made a speech in January, New Year's Day, or yeah, New Year's Day, I think it was, in 2015, so two years ago, where he essentially said, this is a Muslim, saying in a speech at a major university, you know what? We can't kill all the infidels, folks. We have to. He's saying we have to reform Islam. We cannot embrace this barbaric, ancient idea that too many Muslims today embrace, which is you get to kill infidels if you don't like them. So this is the president of Egypt at that level of power saying you better watch out. And, you know, I, I'm going to go back. One other thing you were, we were talking earlier about was really um, is, is in the Quran or is not. There was a point that Ayan Hirsi Ali brought up, which I don't. It isn't a distinction we can make in any legal way, but it's an interesting acknowledgement of something. She's making the point that she calls them Mecca Muslims, Mecca being where Islam was born, and the and the writings in the Quran from Mecca are at the Mecca era more spiritual in nature, and then the Medina was the more militant verses because Islam became militant, Muhammad became militant, Medina was where he went. He wrote all these horrible, terrible, kill everybody, and do I mean just. Horrible things you can't believe her in some of the holy scriptures. She tries to make that distinction, but to Wade's point earlier, it is the more the longer the writings of Islam went on, the later things in the Quran, then the Hadith, which is stuff that Muhammad supposedly said written after he died. Um, it's the more violent stuff that you see. And and I, I got to tell the story about John Guandolo, who founded Understanding the Threat. He has on his staff someone who went underground and worked for and pretended to be converting to Islam. And for eight years was in some mosque in Virginia, pretending he was converting. And, and he writes about what you're actually taught there. And among the things he wrote about was just mind-blowing, and I heard him speak about it too, was after they trusted him becoming Muslim, they gave him the training from media where you're, how do you talk in the media on behalf of Islam? So he, they said, you know, when there has been a violent jihadist attack and people are killed, the words you use are, 
we regret the loss of innocent life, the loss of innocence, I-N-N-O-C-E-N-T-S, innocence. And the reason it's very particular because that word, innocence, can only refer to Muslims. So they're really saying, we're not sorry all the non-Muslims got killed. But they, they I mean, you talk about Takiyah, they stand there and say that. And this guy is not, you know, spy. I mean, I guess maybe you call it spying, but he was right in the middle of it being trained by them. So I guess, you know, I, I understand this might be a tough segment. I know I actually have friends who listen to the show with their families and their kids. I'm going to tell you, though, being ignorant of the threat we face and of the nature of Islam, the nature of his teachings, what former Muslims will tell you is the nature of his teachings, planning foreign policy around that is is you you have to plan our our vetting, our foreign policy, our refugee around the reality of what Islam teaches. We have like what do we have? One minute here, Mr. Well, we, we we can be either Neville Chamberlain and <laughs> pretend that we can right. fix this problem and talk it out. Or we can be Winston Churchill and realize that we have an enemy in the world and that we cannot talk it out with him. Either our enemy is going to have to surrender and change or we are going to have to defeat it. And that's the way it is in a macro level. And if we allow our courts to make our policy, we will always be Neville Chamberlain. I'll be Neville Chamberlain. You know, I, I love I, <laughs> I love those closing points. I do think, you know, I'm constantly saying this show, my, my reason for doing radio and writing and speaking is to preserve America. I want to preserve the most precious, important political idea on earth, the most precious, important country on earth. And we cannot do that. We can't preserve American-style liberty. We can't preserve the culture of freedom and, honestly, tolerance and acceptance if we don't understand a threat against us. I do hope that there can be Muslims in America who decide they are going to be part of the reform to really reform Islam. But until then, we've got to be careful to protect this great country. And so, speak up for America every day. Come back next Sunday. Thanks for listening. Can we talk with Debbie Georgiatis? To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk. Truth About America.